0: Volume 4 chapter 2 of Emmeline the orphan of the castle this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by sonia emmeline the orphan of the castle by charlotte turner smith chapter 2 convinced of the noble and disinterested nature of lord westhaven Emmeline thought she ought immediately on his return to show him the papers she had found, and entreat him to examine, for farther particulars, Le Limousin, who seemed providentially to have been thrown in her way on purpose to elucidate her history. After having formed this resolution, her mind was at liberty for other reflections. Delamere returned to it. His unjust suspicions, his haughty reproaches, his long indignant anger, which vouchsafed not even to solicit an explanation, she involuntarily compared with the gentleness the generosity of Godolphin, with his candid temper, his warm affections, his tender heart, and with pain she remembered that unless Delamere would relinquish the fatal promise she had given him, she could not show the preference which she feared she must ever feel for him. Sometimes she thought of asking Lord Westhaven to apply to Delamere for her release, but how could she venture on a measure which might involve in such difficulties lady adelina and engage lord westhaven in an inquiry fatal to his repose and that of his whole family how could she by this application counteract the wishes of lady westhaven who anxiously hoped to reunite her brother and her friend and who desired ardently to be in england that she might explain herself to delamere all the circumstances that had injured emmeline in his opinion which she thought she could easily do without hazarding any of the evils that might follow from an inconsiderate disclosure of the occurrences he had misunderstood uneasily ruminating on the painful uncertainty of her situation and the difficulties which every way surrounded her she continued alone till lady westhaven alarmed at hearing she had been ill sent her woman to inquire after and know if she might herself come to her emmeline to relieve at once her friendly solicitude arose and went to her apartment where she made light of her sickness and endeavoured to assume as much cheerfulness as possible till she had seen lord westhaven she determined not to mention to her ladyship the discovery of the morning feeling that there would be great indelicacy in eagerly divulging to her a secret by which she must tacitly accuse the marquis of montreville of having thus long detained from its legal owner the maubray estate and of having brought up in indigence and obscurity the daughter of his brother while conscious of her claim to education and affluence struggling therefore to subdue the remaining tumult of her spirits she rejoined her friend they passed the afternoon tranquilly with mrs st and about eleven o'clock the following morning lord westhaven the baron and the chevalier returned emmeline took the earliest opportunity of telling lord westhaven that she wished to speak to him alone there was no way of escaping from the chevalier but by his lordship's openly declaring that he wanted a private conference with his fair cousin whom he led into the garden bellozanne who hoped that his earnest solicitations had prevailed on lord westhaven to befriend his love was glad to see them walk out together while he watched them from a window emmeline put into her pocket the two certificates and the memorandum written by her father without explanation or comment she gave them as soon as they were at a little distance from the house to lord westhaven he read them twice over in silence then looking with astonishment at emmeline he asked her from whence she had these papers they were enclosed my lord answered she in two little boxes or caskets which were left to me among other things by my father's nurse who becoming the housekeeper at mowbray castle brought me up they afterwards long remained at the house of mrs james crofts with whom you know i resided on her removal after her marriage they were sent together with some of my clothes to mrs stafford's agent in london from whence she lately received them and having an opportunity of sending them to geneva by a family travelling thither she forwarded them to me and i found them yesterday in the trunk brought by the messenger which you know the baron sent thither on purpose again lord westhaven read the papers and after pausing a moment said there is no doubt there can be none of the authenticity of these papers nor of your consequent claim to the mowbray estate surely added he again pausing surely it is most extraordinary that lord montreville should have suffered the true circumstances of your birth to remain thus long unexplained most cruel most ungenerous to possess himself of a property to which he must know he had no right your father's memorandum says that he had forwarded a duplicate of it to francis williamson do you know whether that person is yet living he is dead my lord he died in consequence of an accident at mowbray castle where he was many years steward he must however have had sufficient time to give lord montreville every information as to his master's marriage even if his lordship knew it not as he probably did by other means yet from a man of honour from lord montreville such conduct is most unworthy i can hardly conceive it possible that he should be guilty of such concealment Surely, my lord, it is possible, said the candid and ingenuous Emmeline, surely it is possible that my uncle might, by some accident, for which without knowing more we cannot account, have been kept in ignorance of my mother's real situation. For your satisfaction and mine, before we say more on this subject, would it not be well to hear what Le Limousin, who was, I suppose, present both at my mother's marriage and at my father's death, has to relate? To this proposal Lord Westhaven agreed the salle à compagnie was usually vacant at this time of the day thither they went together and sent for le limousin who loved talking so much that nothing was more easy than to make him tell all he remembered and even minutely describe every scene at which he had been present le limousin said lord westhaven as soon as he came into the room i was much pleased and interested with the account you gave me when i first met you of the english master whom you call milor maubray i know his family well tell me does this picture resemble him his lordship showed him a portrait of mr mowbray which had been drawn at paris the limousin looked a moment at it the tears came into his eyes oh oui oui milord je me rappelle bien ce portrait ah quelle ressemblance quelques mois avant sa mort tel es toi mon pauvre maître ah added he giving back with a sigh the picture to lord westhaven cela me font le coeur now then Reassumed lord westhaven look le limousin at that he put before him the resemblance of emmeline's mother which had been painted at the same time eh pardi oui voilà voilà madame la charmante femme dont la perte coûta la vie à mon maître hélas je m'en souviens bien du jour que je vis pour la première fois cette aimable dame elle n'a voix qu'environ quatorze à quinze ans ah quelle étoile pour l'or gaie espiègle folâtre et si belle si belle tell me said lord westhaven all you remember of her i remember her my lord said le limousin speaking still in french i remember her for the first of my going to england with milord she lived then with madame maubray and the servants told me that being a distant relation and an orphan madame had taken her and intended to give her a fortune Milor maubray when he first returned from his travels used to live for two or three months together with madame his mother but she was strict and severe and used frequently to reproach him with his gaieties. il est un peu libertin milor comme sont à l'ordinaire les jeunes seigneurs de sa nation he admired mademoiselle stavordale as a beautiful child and used to romp with her but as she grew older madame maubray was dissatisfied with him for taking so much notice of her and would oblige her to live always up in madame's dressing-room so that my master could hardly ever see her madame however told my master one day that though mademoiselle stavordale had no fortune she would not object to his marrying her in a year or two if he was then in the same mind but my master was in his turn offended he said he would not be dictated to nor told whether he should marry or remain single madame était fort brusque elle piqua monsieur par une réponse un peu vive and they had a violent disagreement in consequence of which he quitted her house and only went now and then afterwards to see her quite in form some month afterwards he called me to him and as i was dressing him he asked me if i had no female friend among his mother's servants baptiste said he i cannot get the demoiselle stavardale out of my head j'aime a la folie cette fille, mais pour le mariage je ne suis pas trop sûr que je m'acquitterai bien en promettant de l'aimer pour la vie je veux aussi qu'elle m'aime sans que l'intérêt y entre pour quelque chose puisque madame ma mère s'amuse à me guetter je voudrais bien la tromper je sais que tu es habile ne pourras-tu pas nous ménager une petite tête-à-tête milord je faisois mon possible et enfin par la bonté et l'honnêteté d'une fille qui servoit madame je vins heureusement à bout quelques jours après monsieur enleva la belle stavordale tant en dépit qu'en amour at this recital emmeline found herself cruelly hurt but lord westhaven besought her to command herself and the limousin went on to avoid the rage and reproaches of madame maubray which it was likely would be very loud my master took mademoiselle stavardale immediately abroad we landed at dunkirk but the young lady was so unhappy at the step she had taken elle pleuroi elle se désoloi elle s'abandonna le désespoir enfin tant elle faisoit, that monsieur sent for a priest and they were married soon afterwards my lady was likely to bring monsieur an heir Ah, qu'ils et toi pour l'heure heureux. But their happiness was interrupted by the death of my master's mother, Madame Maubray, who had never forgiven him, and who disposed of all her money that was in her own power to his brother. My poor lady took this sadly to heart. She reproached herself with being the cause of my master's losing such a fortune. He said he had yet enough, and tried to console my lady. Still, still it hung on her spirits, and she could not bear to think that Madame Maubray, who had brought her up and had been kind to her when she had no other friend should have died in anger with her i believe my master was sorry then that he had not reconciled himself with his mother as my lady often begged and entreated that he would but it was now too late and he said his brother had used him unkindly and had certainly helped to irritate his mother against him and he would not write to him though my lady often desired and prayed that he would as she grew near her time she was more and more out of spirits and my master finding her uneasy because they had not been married by an english priest had the ceremony performed again in the chapel of the english ambassador my master could not however make her forget her concern for the death of his mother and she was always melancholy as if she had foreseen how little a time she had herself to live alas she brought my master a daughter and died in three hours if i were to live a thousand years continued the limousin i should never forget my poor master's distraction when he heard she was dead it was with great difficulty that even with the assistance of his english servants i could prevent his destroying himself in the frenzy of his grief i dared not leave him a moment he heard nothing we said to him he heeded not the questions i asked him about the child and at last i was forced to send an express to mr oxenden his friend who was at some distance from paris he came and by the help of another english gentleman they forced him out of the house while the body of my mistress was removed to be carried to england he was so near madness that his friends were afraid of his relapsing even after he grew better if they asked him many questions about it so they gave me orders as to her funeral and after about a fortnight he came back to the house where the child was attended by his two friends it was a heart-piercing sight my lord to see him weep over the little baby as it lay in the arms of its nurse after some time he called me and told me that he should not be easy unless he was sure his poor little girl would be taken proper care of that he had no friend in france to whom he chose to entrust her and therefore ordered me to go with the nurse to england and directed therese my mistress's fille de chambre to go also that the child might be well attended he told me that he should perhaps quit paris before i could get back in which case he would leave directions where i should follow him then he kissed his little girl and his two friends tore him away i immediately proceeded to england as he directed with the nurse and therese and we carried the infant to the chateau de maubray the french nurse could speak no english and could not be prevailed upon to stay above two days therese too longed to get back to france and we immediately returned to paris where i found a letter from my master ordering me to follow him into italy at milan milor i rejoined him he looked very ill and complained of feeling himself indisposed but still he went out and i believe drank too much with his english friends the third or fourth day after i got there he came home from a party which he had made out of town with them about ten o'clock in the morning and told me he had a violent pain in his head he went up into his room i am strangely disordered baptiste said he as he put his hand to his temples perhaps it may go off but if it should grow worse as i am afraid it will remember that you take those two little boxes in which i keep my papers to england and deliver them to my steward at Mowbray castle i have already written to him about my daughter then almost shrieking with the acute pain which darted into his head he cried i cannot talk nor can i now write to my brother as i think i ought to do about my child but send send for a notary and when i am a little easier i will dictate a will milor i send for the notary but he waited all day in the ante-room to no purpose. My poor master was never again easy enough to see him, never again able to dictate a will. He grew more and more delirious, and continued to complain of his head, his head. Alas, he did not even know me, till about an hour before his death. Emmeline, whose tears had almost choked her during the greatest part of this narration, now said to Lord Westhaven, My lord, do not let him repeat the scene of my father's death. I am not now able to bear it well Le limousin said his lordship this young lady who is the daughter of your master the same whom you helped to carry an infant to mowbray castle will soon have it in her power to reward your fidelity and attachment to her father Le limousin now threw himself on his knees in a transport of joy and acknowledgment lord westhaven fearing that his raptures might quite overcome the disturbed spirits of his fair mistress desired her to give him her hand to kiss which she did and trying but ineffectually to smile through her tears was led by his lordship into her own room he told her that at present he wished to conceal from lady westhaven the discovery they had made for though i am convinced added he that for your sake she will rejoice in it she will be hurt at the extraordinary conduct of her father and harass herself with conjectures about it and apologies for it which i wish to spare her in her present state emmeline assured him she would observe a strict silence and he left her to give to the limousin a charge of secrecy. He then retired to his room and wrote to Lord Montreville, stating the simple fact and enclosing copies of the certificates, and after showing his letter to Emmeline, sent it off to England. Emmeline now went out to walk, in hopes of recovering her composure and being able to appear at dinner without betraying by her countenance that anything extraordinary had been the subject of her conversation with Lord Westhaven. The chevalier, however, was soon at her side. And still flattering himself that his lordship had undertaken to plead his cause he addressed her with all the confidence of a man sure of success emmeline was very little disposed to listen to him and with a greater appearance of chagrin and impatience than she had yet shown repeated to him her determination not to marry he still declared himself sure of her relenting and added that unless she had designed finally to hear him favourably she would never have allowed him so repeatedly to press his attachment his speech which indirectly accused her of coquetry increased her vexation but the persevering chevalier was not to be repressed he told her that he had projected a party of pleasure on the lake the next day in which he intended to include a visit to the rocks of Meillerie. it is a classic ground mademoiselle said he and is fitted to love and despair ah will you not dare hear me will you still inhumanly smile Will you still look so gentle while your heart is harder than the rocks we shall see, colder than the snow that crowns them, an heart on which even the pen of fire which Rousseau held would make no impression? He held her hands during this rhapsody. She could not therefore immediately escape, but on the appearance of a servant, who announced the dinner's being ready, she coldly disengaged herself and went into the house. End of Volume 4, Chapter 2